kind of had a dress rehearsal Sunday night, last Sunday night. We met down here um, for a Bible study, Sunday night Bible study. So I hope I won't be too off communicating this way. Um, I was reading uh, a light commentary. I say light, it means it's, it's accessible. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, but it has tremendous insight. And it's uh, Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe has significant resources. Uh, if you're wanting a way to work through what, what does this passage mean, it, he has a couple of one-volume commenta- one commentaries to go work through. But he, on this passage, he quotes D.L. Moody. And, of course, Warren Wiersbe, uh, in his day, was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. And so he would, he would frequently quote um, D.L. Moody. And he says of this passage, it might be that D.L. Moody had this uh, Exodus 18 in mind when he said, I'd rather put 10 men to work than do the work of 10 men. <laughs> That's a great adage. You know, it's a great, great thing to, to, uh, to say and consider. It's hard to do, though, isn't it? It's hard to actually follow through and do that. You know, there are things that if you want it done, just do it yourself, right? Um, well, that's mo- where Moses is at. He's in this passage, and uh, he's in the reality of a, bir- a nation is being birthed, uh, a people that has never been a nation. Oh, yeah, they've been nomadic tribal people, and then they've been uh, uh, identified as a, a group, an ethnic group, uh, but enslaved, uh, never having been... Uh, never had a leader, never had a king, just a patriarchal kind of, of system. And Moses is this fledgling leader of this fledgling nation. Uh, and again, they'd been slaves for 400 years. They were always told what to do. This is what you'll do, this is how you'll do it, and this is what you'll think. And not necessarily told the reasons why, but this is what you'll do. And now can you imagine there's about 600,000 men plus women and children. We might estimate around two and a half million people who have never been free in their lives previous. And now they have this liberty and freedom and they're in the middle of a wilderness journey experience heading somewhere that they've never been and really don't know. Can you imagine how they're getting along? Mention how, how well unified they are. Uh, that, that's part in background to the confession that we, we recited together this morning. Lord, forgive our divisions. There, there must have been all kinds of division and people doing what was, well, doing what was right in their own eyes. Right? This is the way we're going to do it. And it, it must be the right way because it's my way. How, how do you guide a people like this? Well, we're, we're getting to see that Moses had a, a full job on his hand. We've been looking at the end of chapter 17 and into 18 about this birthing of a nation, about the formation of a community, and the, the well, Moses' own leadership development. And we've seen him in various contexts uh, of his leadership. He's been to war. He's been a witness to his father-in-law. He's been leading the people in worship, and now he's, you know, he's in the thick of it. He's at work. He's in the work of leading this people. This rounds out the, the section, but there, there is, in fact, more to, well, he, whether it's Abraham or Joseph 
in Genesis, uh, the end of Genesis up to 50. Uh, here we, we've got Moses. You could look at Daniel, David. Any number of books have been written on leadership principles related to these men and the narratives that, that follow. And that's good as far as it goes. And we'll expound a little bit upon that as well. But I wonder, is there more to it than just ethical principles of leadership? I suspect so. Well, nonetheless, verse 14, Moses is working pretty hard. Uh, Moses, his father-in-law has been visiting, bringing his family back. He's been, been parted from them for some time. We don't know exactly how long or exactly why. Moses uh, sees what, or Jethro sees what's going on and all that Moses is doing for the people. And he says, what's this? What are you doing? Uh, this, is, this is Jethro. This is the out-of-town expert with a briefcase. And he shows up, and he's maybe a little more direct and blunt than, than um, advisors today. You know, advisors today is like, well, Todd, how do you feel about that? What do you think? None of this with Jethro. Jethro gets right to it and says, Moses, what are you doing? I mean, you can hear the tone in there even with the question, right? He's not just asking a question. You can tell he's, he's got the answer. What are you doing? Why do you sit alone and all the people around you from morning till evening? What are you doing? Well, he is working hard. He is working hard, morning till evening. Notice the repetition of uh, some, some of the words here. Morning till evening, he's working long hours. Uh, we, we, value, we value hard work. And the Bible commends to us to work diligently. That's true. This is, this is a good thing. Ecclesiastes 9.10, for example, says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Work diligently. And even in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And then again in Colossians 3.23, he says, Whatever you do. All right, so it isn't, it isn't only worship, it isn't only witness, it isn't only spiritual warfare, it's, it's this part of it too, the work of community, the work of life together, and the work, the occupation that God has called each and every one of you to follow through to on the other six days of the week. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You want to honor your employer, but you're really ultimately serving the Lord. And certainly when it comes to the Lord's work and when it comes to ministry and gospel ministry, Paul has the example. He's the epitome of working hard. Uh, In one place to the Corinthians, he says, I worked harder than everyone else. He's humble. He is. he's 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 got something he needs to teach the Corinthians of their own boastful and their own pride, and he's he's cutting it to them, but he does say this in Colossians 1, verse 25. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, and that is, this is his mission, to make the word of God fully known, to make the word of God fully known. And verse 29 says, "How, how? I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works 
within me. The person of God, the man, the woman of God who is to lead the people of God in whatever capacity it might be, is, is to do it with all the toil, all the struggle, all the energy that the Spirit of God supplies within. Not of our own strength and power, but by the power of the Spirit. This is the kind of leadership that the church needs. This is the kind of leadership that any people need, that any employer needs. Well, this is good, but verse 18 tells us it's led to getting worn out. You and the people with you are certainly wearing yourselves out. This thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Notice the repetition of this. They're standing around morning till evening, and Moses is alone, says multiple times, verse 18. Um, And then verse uh, 18, this is too heavy for you. It's a burden, verse 22 tells us. And then more bluntly, verse 18, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear yourself out. Perhaps uh, you've had that counsel given to you in such a blunt way. The psalmist gives us the same counsel and warning about work and work in our own doing. Psalm 127 and verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to rest late. This is not necessarily contra Ben Franklin. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, our goal in life is not healthy, wealthy, and wise. It ought to be godliness and holiness. The other things may come as the Lord would prosper. In vain you rise up early and go to rest late. Your your workaholism, your busyness is in vain. Unless, well, we could back up to the previous verse of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen, the guardsmen, stay awake in vain. In vain you rise early and go to rest late. Unless the Lord is doing the work, our striving would be losing. And much of the time, I don't know about you, but you ever feel those wheels spinning? And and, and and it's kind of not just like you're static in mud spinning. It's like you're pulling the train uphill and the, the wheels are spinning on the rails and you're sliding backward kind of wheels are spinning. You identify with that? You feel that one? I do. Yeah. This leads to getting worn out. Maybe we would say burnt out. And when we're worn out, there will be a physical compromise in our health. There will be an emotional compromise in our patience. Well, it, later on, Numbers chapter 20, there's a recording of a situation where Moses was, was to speak to the rock that water would come forth, and then Moses says, you rebellious people, and he strikes the rock twice. Bam, bam. I'd probably do it three. <laughs> 
right? He's, he's emotionally on edge, and the anger welled up and peaked out. And he, he didn't lose his salvation, but that little crack in the sanctification, his holiness, uh, did, did lead him to a place where the Lord says, Moses, you're not going to be able to lead my people the rest of the way. You're not going to be able to go with them into that land. I'll, I'll show it to you. You'll get to see. But Moses, you didn't, you didn't obey. So when, when, when we are overworked and we're worn out and burnt out, those kinds of compromises come physical, in our health. Um, I, I, I don't want to get um, overly personal, and I certainly don't want this, oh, poor Todd, kind of thing. But I did have my annual uh, a week ago, two weeks ago. You know, fun. <laughs> and I've been, I've been you know, the kids got me a, a couple years ago, you know, the Garmin. And I'm tracking my steps and my stairs and my exertion minutes. And I'm making most of the, well, not the walking one, but I'm, I have a sit-down job, man. And, and anyway, the blood pressure thing. Oh, you got to be kidding. I mean, I'm exercising once a week. <laughs> I'm eating donuts only 50% of the time. No. I'm doing way better on that, but Tom, Tom says today is really good. So, and I'm right here. So I don't, I, but it's the Lord's day, right? It's a feast day, right? We give ourselves a cheat day. Uh, I heard the rocks cheat day is like 7,000 calories in the, in the day or something like that. Like, you're wondering who the rock is. That's okay. Uh, some of you know. Um, yeah, pre-hypertension. Like, What? Come on, I'm getting my heart rate up. Now, it could be the coffee. I, I haven't gone the decaf route completely yet. I don't know. My, the point is, it does, this job, this work, does have physical repercussions on the body. And anyone that has an aspiration, like Theo, to be a preacher, <laughs> you know, you've got to count those costs. It will take a toll on your body. I don't exactly know the whys and the wherefores, but it does. And, and any number of the elders will, will have kind of a, a taste of this experience when they're on the council and they're, they're in uh, the saddle of eldership. There's a, there's a weight, a, a burden. And when the term's over, bless their heart, they, they get to have a break once in a while, there is a bit of release. There's a bit of relief. So just some things to consider if you're contemplating ministry uh, in a vocational sense. There will also be spiritual compromise. Okay, It's one thing to talk about the physical and the emotional, but the spiritual compromise is one of the biggest challenges that a preacher has is prayer and devotions. You're like, what? Yeah. We, we get into this because, oh, I'll get to pray and I'll get to be in the Word most of the time. Maybe, maybe naively we say all the time. 
but the course and the pace of life with people, of life in community, squeezes out the time significantly for real contemplative prayer, time with the Lord meditatively in his word and his word washing over you. It's hard. Um, Again, we'll just let you know that those can be areas to of weakness and strength for the spiritual leader well the solution uh here that jethro comes and some call it the jethro principle right verses 19 to 23 jethro makes the observation and again um he's very direct he's very obvious he doesn't sit down with moses and say well moses you know what do you think how many how many people are are you responsible for here uh, how do you feel about this and jethro just says i know how you feel you feel this way and here's what you should do and he divides them up by thousands and hundreds five hundreds and hundreds and tens and whatever there is this this delegation this breakdown of the people into smaller groups that they can be cared for now the direct application that's here is for judicial purposes. This is the forming of a nation. This is not just forming a small group ministry, as wonderful as that is. This is judicial process. You're bickering with one another. We need judges to try the court, the court cases that are coming before us because you're just not getting along with one another in this new nation. There's going to be civil war before we ever even get into the land to be civil. And we'll find out later that the, uh, the military is actually structured in order in a very similar way, this organizational model. Well, Jethro counsels to delegate, to collaborate. They do have elders, and later the priests are going to be are there to... Uh, lead judicially. It was the priest that was to determine the court cases. It was the priest that would give counsel to people. It was a theocracy. It it was, in the sense, truly a a godly nation, God-led nation. They didn't do it well, and that's not God's fault. But Moses had gotten overwhelmed uh, with the counsel and with the judicial aspects of community life together, that verse 19, verse 15, verse 20, verse 16, tell us what he really was supposed to be doing. His main responsibilities, his main duties. One, intercede for the people. Verse 19 and verse 15. Intercede for the people. Represent the people before God and God before the people. That's his main responsibility. The second is to teach the people. Verse 20, verse 16. Intercede on behalf of the people and teach the people who God is, what God is like, and as a result, being God's people, what he expects you to be like. This was Moses' calling. This is Moses' duty. And he's been neglecting it sitting in council meetings. 
So make this application to our, our life together as the people of God in the local church. And there is a similar principle. Again, it's not exactly the same. We're not a nation. We're not a political group, a political entity. Oh, we've tried. Backfires, right? Backfired. Shouldn't have done it in the first place. Moral majority and uh, not that we don't cooperate, but like we made ourselves a political entity. We made ourselves a commodity. We made ourselves uh, an economic group in our nation. And as soon as they aren't getting enough money from our group, they'll move to the next group where they can get more money. It's, it's follow the money. Oh, you heard that before. Well, recognize the same principle, even though it's a, a bit different scenario, but there's a similar scenario that develops in Acts chapter 6. Those astute Bible students knew we were going to get here eventually. Acts chapter 6. Now, in, in these days, Luke writes, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that is the, the non-Jewish members of the church, rose up against the Hebrews members of the church because the, the Gentile widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Problem. Organization isn't working well. People are getting missed. People are being overlooked. What do we do? Well, the 12 then, verse 2, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve the tables. Brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Is this not sound really familiar to the calling and the duty of Moses to intercede for the people and teach them the ways of God, who God is, what he's like, and as a result, what his people are to be like. This is what apostolic ministry is. This is what prophetic ministry is. This is what elder ministry is. And, you know, admittedly, and I think all the guys would, would agree with me, they might not be too quick to want to confess it publicly, but I will for them. We often get distracted with the management stuff in elder meetings. Now, we have to know what's going on. We have to see what's happening. We, we need to know who the sheep are and where the sheep are, yes. But we, we've distracted ourselves from prayer and the ministry of the word. And we have no one really to blame but ourselves because the reality is we've got a great diaconate and we had a diaconate that's kind of set up like Exodus 18. Now, it'll vary with the number of deacons and deaconesses that we might have any given, any given season, any given term. But presently, we have a, an active diaconate of men and women who are responsible for about 10 to 12 of our church family households. Each deacon, each deaconess has a, a, a grouping of 10 to 12 family households. Wow, does that not sound like Exodus 18? It's like, did that happen by accident? No. No. This is put in place on purpose. And, and when there's something significant that happens within the group, the, the neat thing is we've got a guy and a gal that are kind of coordinating and, and teaming up together. So 
between the two of them, there could be 20 to 24 families, but they're each one primarily responsible, 10 to 12. But when there's something that's kind of woman-oriented, the guy who doesn't know what to do can go, hey, deaconess, can you, can you help me on this one? And vice versa. There's a difficult situation, and the gal says, I need, I need a guy to step in on this one and take care of something. They can partner and work together. You know. But when the two of them got something even more significant and say, let's get the elder. Let's make him do it. <laughs> not, not, not really that. It's not really that, that attitude. But there are certain things that he probably should get in on and be responsible to do. And that's, that's kind of how we desire to live together and be structured together. Now, I, I'm hoping and praying, and the experience has not been that you're bickering and fighting with one another like the, like the Jews are doing, like the Israelites are doing in the wilderness. No? We, we're just trying to live out life consistently with the way God tells us to in the Bible, and the world doesn't like it, and it gets hard. And sometimes financially it's difficult, sometimes relationally it's difficult, sometimes uh, health-wise it's difficult. And we, just need, we all need a little help. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. But one person can't do all of this and one person doesn't have all of the spiritual gifts that are within the body. And we could elaborate on this role of, of the elder versus the deacon, the deacon versus the elder. But to this, we have the care teams, the care groups, and they've done exceptional in our experience. And we, we can be grateful to the Lord for this. But, again, you astute Bible students, you're reading Acts chapter 6, and you're thinking, how many, how, how big was the church in Jerusalem? Thousands. By, by this time, is it what, 6,000 or something like that? And how many, how many deacons did they appoint? Seven. That sounds like a Moses problem. <laughs> that's like, that's almost, I mean, if, if my 6,000 number's right, I'm doing this off the top of my head. You know, that's like, what, 900 to 1,000 per deacon. Whoa. It's not as bad as Moses. Not as bad as Moses. No, the, the, diaconate, the diaconate is to engage the rest of us to be the body, to get the rest of us to do what we're supposed to be doing, or at least communicate to us, oh, I didn't know that was going on, let me do something. The diaconate are, among other things, yes, the gifts of mercy, the gifts of service, the gifts of help, but the, these men and women on the diaconate are to be good managers and good communicators to get the body to do what the body is supposed to do. The, 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 word, the, the phrase one another in the New Testament is there by one accounting 99 times. Now, a, a number of those are simply narrative. Like, well, they met together with one another. Like, okay, that's not really one anothering. It's just an observation. They were together. Uh, or 
Moses and Aaron spoke to one another. That's the Old Testament, but you get the idea. Just narrative kind of stuff. But a good chunk of them describe either directly or indirectly what we're to do in life together, in community together, the one another's. Um, even my notes are on a different color paper this week, and like it's it's ivory, and it's throwing me off. First Thessalonians five eleven. Encourage one another, and build one another up, just as you're doing. We all are to encourage one another. We all are to build up one another. Now, yeah, certain persons of the people of God are called to counsel the truth of the word to multiple souls. And some will do this in a small group ministry. Some will have a one-on-one ministry. Some will have a congregational ministry. But each and every believer, every saint, every disciple is to be able to counsel one another with the word of God. We usually use this one in the context of worship, Colossians 3.16, but it is broader than that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. When you sit down for coffee with your friend, your brother, your sister here in the church, out there wherever your favorite coffee donut shop is, you are to have a nimbleness with the Word of God to bring it to bear in the conversation, whatever comes up, in season, out of season. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. We all are to be, in this sense, biblical counselors, spiritual guides, all of us. This is why I take the approach to the preaching that I do to give a a bigger biblical theology of what's in the Word. Now, I need to spend more time on this. I need to spend more time in making the application because early I rise and late I go to bed and it's oftentimes in vain. Like, man, I'm not getting to the application part. Enough, quick enough. I need help to get there. And part of that is when we're all able to speak the truth in love to one another. When the diaconate says, we need meals, or someone needs a ride, whatever it might be, we're helping and serving one another. Now, the leadership has to be of a certain kind. We, we all then are to aspire to these leadership traits, leadership characteristics. The qualifications for New Testament leadership in Timothy and Titus, they, they really are simply the people that are consistently living out godliness, what we're all supposed to be like. We're all supposed to be more like Jesus. And those among us who, who exemplify that may, may have a formal place, but there are character traits that go along with this. And verse 21 gives us a, a real summary of what Moses is looking for here. Look for able men from among the people who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. 
They're not in this for money. They're not in it for the cush, for the easy work once a, once a, once a day. One, once a day? Work one day a week. I don't even know how to say it. It's so much of a fallacy. Right? They're not in this for the ease of, or the prestige. They're not in this for the money. They're not in this for gain. They're trustworthy, judicial, God-fearing people. You can trust them. These are the general qualifications, and we all ought to be that way, right? These are the people that actually consistently live it out. Not perfectly, but consistently. Uh, an individual, let's, let's focus you know, on specific vocational ministry for a minute, but leadership is called, gifted, and qualified. Here are the qualifications in general. We just read them. You could also go to, um, like we said, First, First Timothy, Titus, well, even Acts chapter 6 full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Like, that's, that, how do you ever say, well, I, meet, I'm, I, I meet that qualification. Whew. Called, gifted, qualified. A person doesn't call themselves. A person doesn't say, I'm called for ministry. I'm going to go get training. No. The community calls the people. The community calls the people. The community recognizes the person. And says, we see this in you. Let's do something about it. But there has to be a gifting. The elder specifically is apt to teach. Again, it might be a big group like this. It might be a small group of 10 or 12. It could be one-on-one. But apt to teach. Give good counsel. Godly, wordly counsel but qualified. And all three need to come together. Called, gifted, qualified. These are the character traits. Now, we've talked about this leadership stuff. But there's more to it than that. Our eschatology is bound up here. Our end times, future prophecy stuff is right here in this chapter. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Did you catch it? Let me point you. We have a greater Moses. We have a greater judge. We do have one who can do it all. The Lord Jesus Christ. He, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is always there for his people, for the sheep. He always has infinite wisdom and grace. And it is Christ who will sit to judge and rule the earth in all righteousness. He's coming. And he alone will rule the nations. Well, alone on a sense, but no. Revelation 3.21 The one who is victorious, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Like, did you get that? You, saint, 
believer, disciple, follower of Jesus, one day, when all this is done, when you've conquered, as when you've passed the test, this phase of life, you will sit down with Jesus on his throne and you will rule and reign with him. You are co-regents with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul puts it really bluntly. He, he's, he's got it in for the Corinthians in the sense he needs to discipline them a bit and change their thinking. And he gets a little testy. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Wow. We are going to reign with Christ in the coming kingdom. We are co-regents with Jesus. How are you going to rule? Are you going to rule wisely? Are you going to rule righteously? I know we, right now we all know how the world should be run. But just in a private moment this afternoon, just, boy, what if I really did have to make those decisions? How would I do? Friend, you are going to judge the angels and you are going to rule the earth with Jesus. And Paul says, how much more so ought you to be able to discern and counsel one another right now, right here? This is for all of us, each and every one of us. That's our future, our eschatology, and it does make a difference with how I perceive and do things now, here. All right, truth applied. Summarize this. If you've got the, uh, the handout, the note sheet that's there for you, let me simply read this. One, we do value hard work, and the Bible commends us to work diligently. Secondly, overwork compromises our being and our doing. Thirdly, do not neglect, do not minimize the things that only you can do in your relationships, in your responsibilities. The things that only you can do and the things that you are responsible to do, the things you are called to do. Don't neglect, don't minimize those things by busyness, by distraction. Fourthly, we all are to carry out the one another's of the New Testament. Fifth, nurture godly character that will benefit the whole of the people of God. But most importantly, why, why do this? What's the big deal? Because Jesus is coming. Christ is coming to sit as judge and you will rule with him. That gives you a whole different motivation for life together right now. So, Father, we thank you for your word uh, that's here. We thank you, yes, for the very practical examples and principles uh, that are set before us in the scriptures. We thank you for the faithfulness of a Moses, but we thank you more so for the, the greater and infinite faithfulness of Jesus, the great shepherd 
of the sheep. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have provided everything we need in him. Help us to know better and do better in living life together. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.